Please open with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 4, continuing our exposition. Mark chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 21 through 25. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we once again come before thee. Heavenly Father, we petition thy throne. We ask for help in preaching. This unworthy servant be able to proclaim thy word with efficacy, passion, accuracy, and truth. That these thy people, all of us, would be able to receive thy word, be applied to our hearts by the power of thy Holy Spirit. O Holy Spirit, we look to thee. We depend upon thee for the accurate interpretation and application of thy holy word, which thou hast inspired, preserved, and delivered to us. Lord, we receive thy word. We trust therein. We ask, Jesus, that we would see thee through it. We would see thee as our only Savior, our only hope, our only desire, that to die is gain, to live is Christ, is thee. Lord, help us to improve the spiritual light given to us. Help us to hear the Lord rebuke Satan from taking the seed, the good seed that falls on the good soil. Keep us from error, O Lord. May our boast be Thee. Christ and Him crucified be our theme. Christ resurrected, risen, reigning, our only joy. Without thee, we can do nothing, O Lord. We ask for thy help now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. And he, being Jesus, said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel, or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was there anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear, with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath, as far as the reading of God's word. The title of our sermon today is The Use of Light. The Use of Light. Dear congregation, as we continue in our exposition of Mark's gospel, it is important, as always, to keep in mind the context of each particular text that we are expounding. I believe that almost all Imperative errors or interpretive errors, both present and past, can be attributed to a neglect of scriptural context. 
Both the immediate context in which a passage sits, the surrounding verses, also the chapter in which it is located, the book in which it is located, the genre, and the entire scope of Scripture as a whole. The Bible is not a book of quotations, of pithy sayings, or of proof texts for doctrine, but an organic whole. And we must be sure that we remember the forest as well as the trees when we are interpreting Scripture. The context in which a passage is located is often the key that unlocks the meaning. It's often the key that unlocks the meaning. This is especially the case when studying the gospel narratives. As we've seen, and if you've read the gospels, the same stories, the same paracopes, the same parables and allegories are recounted, often with almost verbatim words in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and to a lesser extent, John as well. However, they are not always used in the same context or in the same way. Common sayings of Jesus or of particular evangelists may unlock different emphases when used in one place than when it is used in another place. And sometimes it even has a different meaning entirely. Each human author has, under the inspiration of God, emphatic and stylistic reasons for structuring his gospel a certain way. Thus, while it can be quite profitable for us to compare parallel passages in the synoptic gospels, we must read Mark as Mark, Luke as Luke, Matthew as Matthew, each as their own organic and unique work. Mark's gospel is inspired by God, and it is a unique work unto itself. While it is helpful to read it in context with the surrounding synoptic gospels, Mark can stand alone. So can Matthew. So can Luke. Mark's gospel is inspired by God. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness, even without constantly comparing it to Matthew or Luke. We must come to Scripture with a receptive heart, not a critical eye. A receptive heart, not a critical eye, or a skeptical mind. The reason I bring this up is there's a study within Christianity called the synoptic problem, where you have to look at all three of the synoptic gospels and try to compare and try to critically analyze why Mark places something one place and Matthew places the same story with slightly different language in another place, and Luke. And while that can be Profitable, it is not a problem, because each of the three synoptic Gospels are inspired by God through human authors, and they stand alone, each on their own. Even though we must obviously consult the other synoptics. We don't have a critical eye, but a receptive heart. We must humbly come to God's Word with faithful heads, hearts, and hands, that our heads might understand what it is we read. Our hearts might burn within us as we see Christ put forward to us in the Scriptures, and our hands might work all the more diligently for God's glory. All this being said, it's important to examine the context in which our passage falls. Namely, the parable of the sower. That's the parable that Jesus just told. Mark is not a hodgepodge collection of sayings, just smacked together for no reason. 
The reason that these words follow is because Jesus had an intention for saying them after the parable of the sower. Namely, the climax of that for his disciples is the good soil. And that the good soil bears good fruit, brings forth, and it increases. In our passage today, let us notice three lessons about light. Number one, the light's substance. The light's substance. Number two, the light's demands. The light's demands. And number three, stewarding the light. Stewarding the light. First, the properties of the light. Look at verse 21. And Jesus said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? Interpreters are generally agreed that the candle refers to the light of the gospel, the teachings of Jesus Christ that he has been putting forward in his itinerant ministry, which those who were planted in the good soil, his disciples, the believers, have received that candle, that light of truth, the gospel. The light of the glorious gospel of Christ had shined in their hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ, as we read about in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and 6. So, reminding them that they had the light of the gospel, that's what Jesus is doing here, i.e. the candle, the candle of the Lord, the light of the Lord, given to them, they must therefore remember what it is that this gospel light does. What its properties are. As receptors of gospel light, believers must steward the light that is given to them. The first step of stewarding the light that is given to them is keeping in mind what it is that gospel light does. First, it enlightens. Gospel light enlightens. Light illuminates. It shines forth. It enlightens all that are in its presence. Jesus explains this by asking a rhetorical question. This section begins with a small but important word in Greek, miti, miti which is used to introduce a question that implies a negative response. That implies a negative response. You could render it, It cannot so be that a candle is lit only to be placed under a basket, can it? Is it not the case that it is lit that it may be placed upon a candlestick and give light to all in the room? It's an obvious answer in the negative. Thus, We see that just as a candle, a physical candle, sheds its light upon all in the room, so too the light of the gospel shines upon all to whom it is given. All to whom it is given. That's Jesus' purpose here, is bringing this out. It is given for the purpose of enlightening, specifically the mind and the heart of those upon whom it comes. Physical light is cast upon the body, but spiritual light is cast upon the mind and the heart. In regeneration, a believer is given spiritual understanding. His mind is enlightened with spiritual light. His unbelief is turned to belief. His enmity against God is turned to filial love for him. Jesus tells us that without spiritual light are those who stumble. Those who stumble are without spiritual light, without purpose, without direction. John John 11, verse 10, he says, But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light 
in him. If we continue to walk in the light of darkness, or in the darkness, and do not have the light, we continue to walk in the deeds of darkness, we stumble. But spiritual enlightenment must always go hand in hand with God's word. That's especially important in our day with Pentecostalism and other forms of mysticism, which people get involved with, where they think that revelation, spiritual light, can come to them outside of God's word and over and above God's word. Spiritual enlightenment always goes hand in hand with God's word. Notice Jesus tells a parable. Now he's talking about the light, the spiritual light, the candle. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10.17, Paul writes, David also prays, Thy word is a lamp, literally a candle, unto my feet, and a light unto my path. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Psalm 119, 105, and 130. So these disciples to whom Jesus is speaking bore fruit because they were good soil. And they shall bring forth fruit. And they were good soil because they were effectually illuminated with gospel light. They weren't left in darkness to stumble about. Upon others, the light also shone. Anyone who hears the gospel presented, the light of the gospel shines upon them. But they could not see it, for they were blind. Upon believers, the light, coupled with the gift of faith, which is given by God, the light illuminates their hearts and minds and gives them spiritual understanding and love for God. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, we read, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The unbeliever lies in darkness, stumbling about, fumbling about, falling into a ditch. He can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Secondly, spiritual light exposes. So it enlightens and it also exposes. Gospel light, spiritual light, not only illumines the hearts and minds of, un- of believers with truth, but it also exposes the sins both of believers and of unbelievers. Jesus, when speaking to Nicodemus, who came to him by night, says, quote, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they were wrought in God. John three nineteen through 21 So Christ, the light of the world, the Son of God, who fully reveals the triune God and his purposes for redemption, as we read in Hebrews 1. His light, the light of Christ, not only reveals salvific truth, but also the reality of sin. To us who are saved, this light both reveals our need for a Savior from our sin and the pathway to salvation, namely faith in Jesus Christ. But to the unsaved, to whom the preaching of the cross is foolishness, the exposure of their sin by the light is met with resentment and hatred. The sinner wishes to remain in the dark. The sinner wishes to remain in the dark committing the deeds of darkness. He desires to remain hidden, away from the truth of the gospel, away from the truth of what God demands of man and his moral law. 
The believer, though, having the reality and weight of his sin revealed by the light of Christ, comes to Christ for salvation rather than fleeing from him. The unbeliever also has his sin revealed by the light of Christ, but he reacts with disdain and bitterness. The believer, having the reality of his sin put before him, comes to Christ. He wants to have his, desire, his sins dealt with by Christ and in Christ's work. The unbeliever flees. He does not come to Christ to have his sin dealt with, but flees from Christ in an attempt to remain hidden in his sin. So the decisive factor, you see, between these two is faith. As Jesus had said right before that in verse 18, He that believeth on him, the Son, is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Therefore, dear congregation, let us not meet the exposure of our sin by God's word with resentment, but with faith and with gratitude. If we do not see the pitch blackness of our sin, that black and bleary night sky, we will never be able to see the shining stars of God's grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ upon that backdrop. Romans 3, 23 and 24 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore we know the the blackness of our sin. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see how those paradoxes work. That juxtaposition works. First you see the blackness of sin. Then the glory of grace. If we know not that the wages of sin is death then we will never know that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6, 23. So rather than shrinking away from Christ at the revelation of our sins, we ought rather to come to him all the more, that they may be forgiven by him. As Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Or as Jehovah said through that, ancient gospel preacher Isaiah. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Isaiah 1.18. So the light of the gospel enlightens, it exposes, and it also guides. It also guides. So as we read earlier, the light of the gospel is a light unto our paths, directing us in the way that we should go, Psalm 119.105. The light not only enlightens us momentarily, not only momentarily, but perpetually, perpetually. Those who receive the light of the gospel have the light of the gospel. We must walk according to the revelation that we have. We must walk according to it. It was not given only to inform us, but to guide our steps and to comfort us and to lead us in the paths of righteousness. It is of perpetual use, gospel light. Those who receive the light are those upon, who are planted upon the good soil. They are the good soil. And by walking according to that gospel light which they have, they bear the word and re- hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, as we read in verse 20 of that parable. So not only to know, dear congregation, but to do, to be guided by the light of the truth, to worship in spirit and in truth. Secondly, 
delights demands. We see this in verses 23, or 22 and 23 specifically. For there is nothing hid, Jesus says, which shall not be manifested. Neither was there anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear the demands of the light. As was said above, the light is not given, is given not only to inform, the light is given not only to inform, but to instruct and to enable. The gospel makes real demands upon us as believers. By knowledge of our guilt, of our sin, and the grace freely given us, we live, therefore, in grateful obedience to God. Paul writes in Colossians 2.6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. We not only receive, but we also walk. Ephesians 5.8, Paul writes, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. There are a few demands inferenced upon us in our Lord's words in, these, in this passage. Let's look. First, the light of the gospel. The light must be shown abroad. Must be shown abroad. The candle of the gospel is not given to us in order to be placed under a basket, nor kept to oneself. Verse 22, For there is nothing hid which should not be manifested, neither was there anything kept secret but that should come abroad. Those who are the good soil, believers, the receivers of light, ought to remember the obligations they are under to do good, to bring forth fruit and increase. Matthew Henry once said, God expects a grateful return of his gifts to us and a useful improvement of his gifts in us. This is what God expects in giving us light and bringing us from death into life. From causing us to be born again, he expects a grateful return of his gifts. Is a candle, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel, a basket, or under a bed, a couch, in a closet? No, but that it may be set on a candlestick. Remember, the apostles were ordained, sent out. They received the gospel, not for themselves only, but for the good of others, to communicate the gospel to others. They were sent forth. All Christians, as they have received the gift of spiritual illumination, must minister the same unto others, those around them. We have received the gospel message of reconciliation, and thus we are given the ministry of reconciliation, the scriptures tell us. We have come to know the truth and must see to it that others know the truth also. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, he says, as though God did beseech you by us, through us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. So being those who have received the gospel, 
who have been given light as a gift, we have, it, we have with it received the ministry of reconciliation, the demands of reconciliation, the obligations of the light of the gospel. Mark 16, 15, Jesus Christ says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They had received the gospel, but they were not to stay there only, but to go out and preach the gospel to every creature, every nation. True, the work of spreading the gospel, the work of shining gospel light and illuminating the world with truth, salvific truth, is the work of God alone. Only God can do that. Only God. It is he and his sovereign working that enlightens or saves anyone. But this does not give us an excuse to not participate, to not execute our gospel duties. Rather, it actually increases the demands upon us to share the gospel. The means through which God shines the light of his gospel upon sinners is through our ministry, the ministry of reconciliation that each of us as Christians has been given. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the work of God, bringing his name to the nations that they might believe, and then giving them the faith to believe. But he continues, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Thus, as Christians, we have a duty incumbent upon us to shine the light that we have received. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. There's duties placed upon us, demands. We have been born again, not to live unto ourselves, but unto God in Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He continues in another place in 1 Corinthians 6.20, driving it home even more clearly. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. To be purchased is to be owned. We are God's. So the gospel light must be shown abroad. Another demand is that it must be applied. Gospel light must be applied. Again, gospel light was not given to us simply to know things about God, but to know God in Christ and to live unto him. All of scripture, all of scripture must be applied to all of life the whole counsel of God, to the whole man. We must live all of life, coram Deo, before God, soli Deo Gloria, to the glory of God. We must live all of our life before the presence of God and the presence of God to God's glory alone. 2 Corinthians 5.15, the Apostle Paul writes, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again must be applied. Christ has made us alive to live unto him. To live. 
Not made alive for ourselves, but made alive for him. All of our life for his glory, not our own. For his purposes, not our own. He says in another place, in 1 Corinthians 10.31, that even the most mundane of tasks are to be done unto God. Whether therefore we ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So for the Christian... All of life is doxological. That is to say, all of life is praise and worship. The gospel was not given to us to keep it hidden, Jesus says, from the world or from ourselves. The light of the gospel was given to us that it should come abroad, he says, permeating all of our thoughts, all of our words, all of our deeds, all of our feelings, the whole man. Therefore, Dear Christian, turn over every stone in thy heart. Shine the light of Christ into every crag, every hole, that thou mayest be wholly sanctified unto him who loved thee and gave himself for thee. The thoughts of thy heart, dear Christian, should be, is there anything I have not given unto the Lord Jesus? Is there anything? Are there any remaining citadels, castles of sin, that I have not broken down. Search my heart, O God. That should be our prayer. Another demand upon us in the light of the gospel is that it must be obeyed. Jesus says, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So immediately connected to this is that we must obey the gospel. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Hear not only the content of the parable of the sower. Not just the content, but also its implications on our lives. The Christian hears the voice of a shepherd and does nothing? No. He hears a shepherd and he follows him. The flesh within us wars against the spirit that we might not follow him, that we might not do the things that please him, that we might not go after him and obey him. But as Christians, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must mortify the deeds of the flesh. We must mortify, put to death the flesh with its lusts. We must humble ourselves before God, pick up our crosses, and follow Jesus. Mm, amen. For a Christian, we must grapple. As Christians, we must grapple with the impossible possibility of sin. The very paradox that is sin in the life of a Christian. We are not our own, as we read. We have been made alive to Christ. Yet, as Christians living still in this life with the flesh, we frequently live unto ourselves rather than God. We are born again, made new, justified, sanctified, and even glorified. It's impossible that we could sin, yet we do. It's the impossible possibility. It's a paradox. The natural man, as Augustine said, is non possunt non peccare, not able to not sin. Unable to not sin. But the Christian has had his will freed, freed, loosed from the bondage of sin that he might live unto God. He is a servant of Christ and not a servant of sin. Third, we are stewards of the light. We are stewards of the light. 
verses 24 and 25 specifically. And he said unto them, Jesus said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. With great knowledge comes great responsibility. As Christians, we have been given the greatest knowledge. And thus, we have the greatest responsibility. Amen? Mm. Recall that even the unsaved will be punished in proportion to the spiritual light which they received but rejected. In Luke 12, 47 and 48, Jesus telling a parable says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things unworthy of stripes, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. The ones who knew the very will of their master, the servants that knew the will of their master, and knew it well, the fullness of it, and yet neglected it intentionally, will be beaten more severely. They'll have a more severe punishment than the other servants who didn't know as much, were not privy to all of the details of their task, and yet still went against it. They'll be beaten, but less severely. When we commit something to somebody, we give them something great to watch over. If we let somebody sit on our house while we're gone, and they are negligent, and the house burns down, we'll be very angry with them. Because we gave them a great thing over which to preside, yet they neglected their duties. That is why we must be careful what or how we hear. We must pay close attention to it. We've been given much knowledge, therefore we're required to obey that knowledge which we have been given. The good soil receives the knowledge of Christ, and is expected to bring forth fruit in accordance to that knowledge. Being a Reformed Christian, dear congregation, is a weighty thing. It's a weighty thing. For we indeed know much, don't we? And we know it accurately. Therefore, let us be careful how we hear, how we hear the truth. How we improve what we hear. Notice he says we must take heed of what we hear. That means both paying careful attention to the spiritual enlightenment itself, the content, and minding how we use that spiritual enlightenment, that content that we are learning. We must study the truth, but also live the truth. Use the truth. Improve the truth. It makes no more sense... For a photographer to invest in the very best lighting equipment that money can buy and then put the lens cap on than it does for the Christian to give careful study to the truths of Scripture and then not live in accordance to that knowledge that he has. I am often myself afraid of me. I am afraid of me. I'm afraid of my knowledge, dear brethren. I know far too much 
Far too many glorious truths. Far too much intricacies of doctrine and its application to life to ever find a decent excuse for my sins, try as I might. We must also be careful that we are not learning only for head knowledge. Mm. Only for head knowledge. We, when we study our Bibles, or we study some work of theology, or we study our confession of faith, we should not only rejoice in the clear doctrines that we see set forth, but also seek to apply them to our, our hearts and our lives. Not only ask, what does this mean? The text says this. Well and good that it says this and that it means this, but we should ask additionally and more importantly, what does it mean for me? What does the text mean for me? What is required of me in this great truth? What is given to me in this doctrinal point? How shall I live for Christ in light of the truth laid before me? Not only here, but here carefully, here rightly. Also, to those who improve their spiritual light, more spiritual light will be given. Jesus says, With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given. So with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you. I.e., if ye be faithful servants to God, he will be a faithful master to you. With the upright, God shows himself upright, the scriptures say. So if we make use of the knowledge we have for the glory of God and the benefits of others, that knowledge shall grow, shall increase as stock does in trade. Unto you that hear shall more be given. To you that have, it shall be given. He who not only reads the very words and letters on the page of his Bible, but also applies them to his mind that he might understand them, applies them to his heart that he might love them, and applies them to his hands that he might do them, to him, to that one, shall more light be given. Now this is a great promise, dear congregation. The doctrine of sanctification is wrapped up in this. And the doctrine of sanctification is only correctly understood when we realize that it is not only the gracious work of God in us, but the gracious work of God through and with us. It is solely his work, but through a means, like God always does. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is true that he which hath begun a good work in us will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ, 1.6. But, but he does it through our submission to him in all of our life. He will complete the work he began in us through our submitting to him. In this promise of God that he will increase our spiritual knowledge as we improve it, as we invest into it, let us live as though our sanctification rested upon us alone. Live that way. While at the same time believing with all of your heart 
And knowing that it is true, deeply trusting that it is God who works in us alone unto sanctification. Both. Now, those who neglect spiritual light will find themselves without any light whatsoever. Christ adds, He that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. The Lord will no more add further light to the spiritually blind, the spiritually obtuse, the spiritually forward, than a farmer would water the stony ground in expectation of a good harvest. The husbandman will cease to dung the unfruitful tree, and the Lord will withdraw from the spiritually barren. That's the unbeliever that neglects the gospel that he hears. That's the unbeliever who rejects the gospel light when it comes to him. That shrinks away, does not come to Christ for salvation. But shrinks away, detests the light because it exposes his deeds. But we as Christians can also draw much from the same. As Christians, we know that God will not forsake us. God will not abandon us. And that he will graciously bear with us in our infirmities. He will chasten us in our disobedience. He will add grace upon grace in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we should go on tempting the Lord. Or that we should bury the talents he has given us. All Christians will bear fruit in accordance with gospel light. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and, and others and hundredfold. But, as Christians, if we love him who first loved us, why should we not labor to bear an hundredfold unto him? Nay, even more, an millionfold unto him. We have no fear that God shall remove his love from us as Christians. But, we should fear, and fear greatly, that we might be found with but a few crowns to cast at his feet. We should take this warning seriously and labor to gain the most benefit from the spiritual light which we have. Whatever my preaching may be, dear congregation, you do get some fair meals from time to time at this pulpit. In addition to all of that, you have a sound and godly confession of faith that you have read and studied. Therefore, upon you it has been placed a great responsibility to improve the spiritual knowledge that you have. You need not fear, dear congregation, that God shall remove all spiritual light from you. But you ought to fear that you might be found having never lit the bonfire with the match that he gave you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 11-15, for, for no other foundation can a man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. 
but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So that supports what I just said. Our foundation is Christ as believers. It's a sure foundation. It's an unchanging foundation. We are Christ's, and he is ours by grace through faith. Nothing can change that. No one can snatch us from his hands. Nothing can separate us from his love. We shall all be saved by grace through faith. But I think we can all agree, we must remember, that it is far better to enter his presence with a work of gold, silver, and precious stones than to enter in ashen and singed all about. Dear congregation, let us labor to improve the light which we have been given. It's always good to remember that there are many Christians throughout the world who do not even have this. They may have a few leaves, just a few leaves, maybe one book, maybe just the New Testament, maybe only someone in their village who knows the Bible and can recite it to them, maybe only what they've memorized and now they're in prison and all they have is what they've memorized. There are many Christians who do not even have this at all. We have been given much, much spiritual light. In addition, we have sound teaching. We have the confession. We have many things. We must then labor, therefore, to bear an hundredfold from the spiritual light we have been given. And if we are diligent in seeking and serving the Lord with what he has thus far revealed unto us, he will continue to lavishly give us greater and greater knowledge of his person, of his ways, of his love, and his son, Jesus Christ. A candle produces both light and and heat. And we must worship God in both spirit and truth. That means improving both. Improving both of those. Not only head knowledge and not only heart knowledge. One, head knowledge sits in a chair reading theology all day. And that is it. The other goes to the mission field and builds wells and leaves. One accumulates knowledge, the other improves the knowledge which it has. We must have both. Light and heat. Spirit and truth. We have both a precious promise and a sober warning in our text this afternoon. Let us heed both, dear congregation. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask of Thee for more more faith to improve the knowledge that we have and also for our knowledge to increase. The doctrine and life would be married within each of us. The truth and action, knowing and loving, would be inseparable in our lives, O oh God. Lord, we thank Thee. We love Thee. We ask for blessing upon thy word. In Jesus' name, amen.